Good morning. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. Be in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10 today. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's word to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and and we're going to do something a little bit different uh, today. We're not going to go into an exposition of the next verse that we would come to, which would be verse 25. But instead, like I've been doing through Ephesians, is to, to pause for a minute and look a little more deeply into the theology that we are finding there and making sure that we can wrap our minds around these important truths that we encounter in God's Word and to see how practical they are to our walk with Christ. And so this morning, we'll be looking at something that's prompted by the verses before us, verses 20 through 32 of chapter 4, old life that is replaced by new life. We just read in the opening verses of chapter 2 how we were without any hope at all in ourselves. Our condition was that of being dead in sin. We had no hope. And yet, Paul quickly moved into God breaking into that situation of ours, bringing His love and mercy and giving us great hope. This hope of new life. And what what we read there that he told us is that we accept that simply by faith. We don't have to work real hard to try to remedy ourselves and to make ourselves right with God for Him to accept us. We just accept His gift by faith. And then that begins a life of good works from us. And so our studies as we've continued on through Ephesians, and we've now come to the latter half of Ephesians 4, we find the reality that we still have to deal with sin. We saw how in verses 20 to 24, Paul taught that we have already put off the old life, like taking off old, dirty, filthy clothes. We've taken off the old life. And then we have already put on the new life, the new self. And so you may wonder, then why do we still have to deal with sin? Like last week, we looked at dealing with the sin of falsehood and lying. And why do we have to deal with that if we already have put on this new life? Well, this morning, we're going to go a bit deeper into what the Bible says about our old self 
and our new self, the old man, the new man, so that we better understand that dynamic, what's going on there. And then next week, we'll follow it up with a teaching, which is the harder concept to wrap our minds around, the concept of the flesh, indwelling sin. As Paul calls it, the body of sin, and or the body of this death. You know, what what do we make of that? And and so we will tackle that part next time. But this today is going to lay a groundwork for us as we get this these two concepts of the old man, the old self, and the new man, new self, uh, square in our minds. So as we deal with the reality that sin is still with us, I want you to watch for hope throughout the lesson today. And I'm going, to, I'm going to bring that out or try to bring that out several times. Watch for hope. Because sin's presence cannot rob us of our hope. It can't take that away. We have that hope and we'll see why not. And so what I've given you here in this is basically our, our message. I always try to give you what's the main point. And, and I put it into a little bit of verse there. So I was not, before any of you say anything, I was not shooting for really good poetry here. And I know some of you are going to say, well, you succeeded. But <clears throat> that's okay. The point is, as I was looking at, looking over all of what I was planning to teach us on today, and I was looking at the main ideas there and pulling them together, it just kind of started, you know, falling into place a little bit in my head. And I thought at first, you know, I'm not one to, you know, give you poetry a lot or anything like that. But it just, it, it seemed to strike me. And I thought, well, let me write it out and I'll tweak it a little bit. And, and that's what we have here. So I know you're thinking, well, last week John told a joke. This week he's given us poetry. You know, you know, where is the world going here now? So... <laughs> I wanted this to be memorable for us. I wanted this to be something that we can take away, something that will impress these truths on our heart so that we'll not only take them seriously, but we will take them with us. We'll use them because we need this in our fight with sin because it's so easy for us to be discouraged. Okay, so here we go. Our old self is gone. Sin's power is broken. Our new self is here. New power is given. Sin attempts a rebound, but we have the high ground. And you can see there with the illustration, the idea of in, in a, a sword or saber battle, having the high ground puts you, gives you the advantage. Okay? And that is what we're going to see as we talk through this this week and then also next week as well. So there's been a lot of debate about these terms, the new self, old self, and a lot more confusion that has gone along with that. If you've done any reading in theology and commentaries and heard sermons, you, well, this pastor said this, and this pastor said this, and this pastor said this, and, and trying to understand all of that, and there's so much confusion with it. And what got us into a study of this is our, our work through Ephesians 4, and especially verses 20 to 24, and that's what's prompted this and why I thought it'd be good for us to go through it. So follow with me as I read Ephesians 4, verses 20 to 24, and we already did an, an exposition on that, So, uh, but to remind us, this is what got us here. 
And so after talking about the way of the Gentiles, Paul says in verse 20, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, and remember we, we said this is a, a better way to, uh, to interpret this, you have laid aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you are being renewed in the spirit of your mind and have put on the new self, which is the, in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So that gives us the basis for this whole put off, put on ethic that we have here in Ephesians 4 and a lot of other places in the New Testament that we'll see as we go through our study, not only this time and next week, but then as we continue going through this put off, put on ethic, this principle that how do we deal with sin? And basically it boils down to you put off the, the sin and you have to put something in its place. We saw last week, you have to put off this falsehood and lying, and you have to put something in its place. Because remember the little joke, you know, when is a door not a jar? The door, when it's a jar, right? You know, silly little kid's joke, but that it, we, we brought to this, following Jay Adams, and where we, we said, okay, when is a liar not a liar? It's when they become a truth teller, you see. So you've, they've put truth telling in its place. Just because you've stopped them from lying, they still are a liar until they have replaced that with truth telling. Okay. So, what does the Bible say then about this first term, the old self, or literally the old man? What does the Bible say about that? And so, this again is going to be a theological lesson where we're going to quickly work through uh, these different points of theology that help us to better understand this. And I hope you see it as practical. Never look at theology as just academic. Unfortunately, it gets relegated to academics and it shouldn't be. Because theology classes should be the most practical classes that you would ever attend if you go to a Bible college or a seminary or, or a Christian school, for example, or in your homeschooling. What does the Bible say? First, the old self is the unregenerate person. The old self is the old you before you were saved. What Paul called our old self in Romans 6.6, 6, and we'll look at that in a little more detail in a minute, but what he called the old self there, in that context, he also calls, he uses the pronoun we, that was us, okay? Galatians 2.20, you know, I, he uses I there, I was crucified with Christ. So that's the old self. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that was you. Okay, so when you read there, the old man, the old self, that was you, that was me. Douglas Moo explains in his commentary, the old man is what we were in Adam. And you think back to Romans 5 there with it being, you know, an Adam or Christ, right? It is the old man or the man of the old era. And that's a helpful way to think about it. It's in that era, as I've got on the illustration there, before Christ, before you were saved. See, this is who you were in total at that time. It's the man of the old era who lives under the tyranny of sin and death. John Stott adds, it is not a part of me called my old nature, and let me make a couple comments there. 
I know a lot of times we, because we've heard it so much, we will talk about the old nature and new nature, and we sometimes will say, well, I have, and you know, hear people teach that, that we have an old and a new nature in us right now, and that, that's not what the Bible teaches, okay? And we've talked about that, and, and so, and we'll talk about it some more next time when we talk about dealing with indwelling sin in the flesh. What is that? Now, I've heard that and grown up with that, so I probably have slipped and used the word nature, and you might too, and okay, but let's try to understand that if we use that, we mean the old me, okay, the old you, okay, that's the idea, okay, so, you know, not not a big deal if you use nature, but let's try to, to get, you know, the, the biblical terminology in there of using the old self or the old man, if you will. And the reason I say self, even though literally it says man, is because it's the old me, okay? And when he means, when he says old man, it's who I was. So self is a good word for that, I think. Okay, so he said, it's not a part of me called my old nature, but is the whole of me as I was before I was converted. My pre-conversion life, my unregenerate self. Now, for some of you who haven't yet trusted in Christ, it's not the old you. It's the now you. It's who you are right now. Because until you come to Christ, it isn't old. It's you, right now. And what do you need to think about that? It means you're still a slave of sin and a slave of Satan. Okay, how do you respond to that? Well, the way God calls you, He calls the sinner in Isaiah 55, 7, to forsake his way. And so if you are not a believer yet in Jesus Christ, that's you. He's telling you, calling you to forsake your way and the righteous man to forsake his thoughts and let him return to the Lord as we just sang just a little bit ago. Turn to the Lord in repentance. Why? He will then have compassion on him. He will abundantly pardon. God is not stingy with this compassion and pardon that he will give when you turn to Him. Okay, so what has happened to the old self in a believer? First, the believer's old self has been put to death. We find in passages that, I, that I've given you on the slides there, Romans 6, 6, Galatians 2, 20, it has been crucified with Christ. It's been buried with Christ. It was and we were baptized, this old self, the old us, was when we trusted in Christ, it was baptized into his death. And that is a real spiritual baptism. It's not a make-believe concept or just a theological concept. It's something really that happened to you, but you can't see it. So whenever you were saved or if somebody is, you know, you're talking to them, you're sharing the gospel with them, you can't see them being baptized into Christ. And so what we do is we have, we were given in Scripture, this picture that we use when we baptize people who have come to know Christ. Because it pictures what happened with you. So when you go, when a person goes down into the water, that pictures their death with Christ, their burial with Christ, being baptized with Christ. Okay, so at that point, because the reality is, if they've trusted in Christ, they are now in Him, and they benefit from His death. So the old believer, or the believer's old self, has been put to death. Second, the old self has already been put off at conversion. 
when you repented of your sins, Paul said in Colossians 3.9, you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. You've already done that. You've laid aside. And we said, we went through the Ephesians 4 um, parallel to that. That that's the better way to take it, the way that it, Colossians does. As those are, this is what has happened to you. Second Corinthians five seventeen. The old things have what? They passed away. You see, they've been like those old dirty garments have been taken off. That old self has been taken off. So what does this mean then, if you're a believer? It means that sin is no longer your master. Praise the Lord! Isn't that wonderful? These are glorious things that we need to hear. Sin is no longer your master if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Um, Turn over to Romans 6. We're going to touch on this just a little bit. And we're going to, I'm going to look at a few verses or read a few verses for us to see this truth that sin is no longer your master if you're a believer. Okay, Romans 6, first verses 6 and 7. Knowing this, that our old self, remember that was the old me, was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And if you didn't get the point yet, verse 7, for he who died is freed from sin. And so we died in Christ. Once you've trusted in Christ, you benefit from his death. That means you died in him. Verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And then verses 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin... You became slaves of righteousness. And so he repeats this over and again through Romans 6 because he wants us to understand what? Sin is no longer your master. You're not slaves of sin anymore if you've trusted in Christ. Sin's dominion and power over us have have been broken. That's the point. Now, is sin gone from us completely? No. Next week, okay. But, yeah, like I always kick the can down the road, right? <clears throat> the point of it is that sin's power and dominion have been broken. It is no longer your master. It's no longer your ruler. You don't have to obey it anymore. A believer should not ever say, well, I can't help it when I sin. Because if you're a believer, that's not true. In Christ, you can. You don't have to obey it. And that gives us hope. In our battle with sin, as I said earlier, we have the high ground. We've been given the, the position of, being, of having the advantage over sin. Now, not, we're not on our own. Again, we're going to talk about that. We're not on our own. But God has already done a lot for us in, in us taking off that, that old self. He crucified it with Christ. And then He's given us the new self that we have put on. So we have this new life, regeneration, that we... We're completely new. We're new creations, as we're going to see. But there's going to be a lot more coming with that. He's put us in a position where we can fight sin and make real progress against it. And we have to remember that. We need that hope. Okay, so that was the old self, the old man. Now, what about the new? What does the Bible say about the new self, this new man? Well, first... The new self is the regenerate person. It's the new you after you have been saved. 
This new you is a restoration of the image of God. Both the uh, Ephesians 4 passage and the Colossians 3 passage, they both talk about that. It's that this is the image of God that has been restored in you. The image that God had originally given to Adam when he created Adam, but then it was corrupted by sin. And so we've been recreated as we move to the next point then. The new self is a new creation. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.17. One of those most wonderful verses, one of my favorite verses. If any man is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old things what? Passed away. Behold, new things what? Have come. Third, the new self lives by faith in Christ. Another another wonderful verse. We find both actions in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. There's that taking off of the old man. Okay? Repentance. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, that's where I'm putting on the new man. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. You see, so there's both both aspects there. But this new man lives by faith. It's not a, okay, go figure it out, believers. No, we live by faith. We trust in Christ by the power of His Spirit. So what has happened to this new self? Well, first we say the new man has already been put on. Okay, we've been pointing that out already, but in Colossians 3, we have already put on the new self. And that is another part of the picture in baptism. And so, after the person goes down into the water, symbolizing their death with Christ, we, you know, fortunately for them, we bring them back up out of the water, right? And the reason we do that is, well, for one, we don't want them to drown, but we picture another wonderful truth. And that truth is that it shows what happened to them spiritually in Christ. Paul says in Romans 6, 4, As Christ was raised from the dead, so we too might walk in newness of life. You see, and so a lot of times we'll do that as we're bringing them up out of the water. We'll say, raised to walk in newness of life. And the picture is there, okay, now you go forward and you walk in new ways. This new self is being constantly renewed. Second thing we say about this, uh, we saw that in Ephesians 4.23. Uh, we see it also in Colossians 3.10, saying that it's this new self is being renewed, uh, or this is the Ephesians passage, being renewed in the spirit of your mind. We talked about what that meant. Okay, It's being renewed. And you see how all this is tying in. So you can see how, we're, yes, we're going to deal with sin. We have to deal with sin. And the Spirit of God is working in us, renewing us constantly. And this, again, gives us hope, right? Yes, we fight against indwelling sin. And we'll talk about that fight more later. We are already new creations. And so we can make real progress in holy living, in living in new ways. Not just, because remember, they have to go together. There's always the put off and the put on. A lot of people try to, okay, I've, I try to quit, whatever, you know, worry, anger. You know. But they have to put something in its place. And so, we see, yes, we can make real progress against sin. And now we see we, we can make real progress in holy living to replace it. 
And we see that Romans six twenty two. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in what? In sanctification and the outcome eternal life. There's that sanctification. We can make real progress in holiness. Well, since believers have now put on the new self, what does that mean for us? That means, as we've seen, we must walk in entirely new ways. We're to walk in that newness of life, according as Romans 6, 4, and then according to those new things that have come with that new creation, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. We're to walk, as we saw uh, in Ephesians 4.24, in righteousness, in holiness. Turn now to Colossians 3. And with these theology messages, it tends to be Bible drill for you. You can go back to your Sunday school days, right? Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17, is just a beautiful way of pulling together a lot of the, the kind of the thinking, the attitude, the mindset, but also the actions of, of this new way, these, these new things that have come, this new life we are to have. So, Colossians 3, verse 12. And so as those, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on... You see, there's the put on ethic, right? Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. If we all could do that consistently, wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. And that's what we're shooting for, to do that more and more consistently. Well, one more thing about what does this mean for us? We must no longer walk in sin. As Paul opens Romans 6, verse 2, he says, How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And it's rhetorical. It's like, we can't. We mustn't. And, and then that's where he launches into that whole discussion throughout Romans 6 and 7 and 8 and showing us how we should live. Okay, so the last main thing here. <clears throat> if we have a new self, is indwelling sin really something we have to deal with? Okay, we've kind of talked about that, but you may be, well, but John, I have this new self. Do I really have to deal with indwelling sin? Well, the first thing the Bible says about that I brought out here is that fighting sin is a current earthly reality for the believer. Fighting sin is a current earthly reality for the believer. Turn to 2 Corinthians now, back to the left, if you're in, in Colossians. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 2 through 4. He says, For indeed in, in this house... 
uh, our earthly body, we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And we find a similar statement in Romans 8.23. The reality of our present life is that, quote, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Why? We're waiting eagerly, eagerly for our adoption as sons, and he says it in a different way, the redemption of our body. You see, and that's what's going to be the segue to next time. We're going to talk about the body and the flesh and, and, and indwelling sin and how all that makes sense. And, and, and so we're going to try to lay that out. But we're waiting for the redemption of our body. That means it's not here yet. It hasn't happened yet. It won't happen yet, as we're going to see in, in this life. But, secondly, we will make real progress against sin in this life. See, God's Spirit is working to give us, to give even to our bodies this life. To extend spiritual life to our bodies even bit by bit. We find in Romans 8.11 that... This promise, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so, yes, we have indwelling sin that we have to fight, but we also have something far more powerful. And it is the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And he is the one who is giving us life bit by bit in our lives as he takes over more and more of our bodies, bringing them into a holy state before the Lord. Now, that's going to continue. That fight is going to continue as long as you're alive on this earth. There's coming a day, fortunately, when it will be all over. One day, God will deal the final blow that will end our battle with sin. And there's great hope in that, is there not? One day, God will deal the final blow that will end our battle with sin. You see, while the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us, making us holy, we wait for that final and full redemption. That's the remaining piece, if you will, to our salvation. We, Romans 8 calls it glorification, whereas that there's that one last thing that needs to happen. Right now, we're in the middle of sanctification. We had justification when we were saved. Sanctification is what we're going through now. But then the one day comes glorification, that Romans 8 calls it, 8.30. <clears throat> This remaining piece of our former, former sinful lives is called the flesh. Okay, And so you can be chewing on that, if you will, for next time and thinking about it, right? But what's it going to be like when that is dealt with? When that final blow by God is given? Turn now to the last passage, 1 Corinthians 15. I'll just read a little bit here. And I want you to watch as I read here. 1 Corinthians 15, here toward the end of the chapter. The radical changes that are going to happen to our body. Okay? The part where there's still sin dwelling in it. And and I'll elaborate on that later on. But notice the radical changes. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. 
after talking about how our, our body, the, this body, this earthly body, is going to die just like a seed. You plant a seed, and the seed dies, and a, and a plant sprouts from it. Okay? And he says, in the same way, that's what's going to happen. This old body is going to be planted, if you will. It's going to die. And then this new glorified body will sprout from it. So he says here in verse 42, So also is the resurrection of the dead, just like the, the seed illustration. It is sown a perishable, perishable body. In other words, it can die. It is raised an imperishable body. It can't die. It can't be corrupted. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam, and who is that? Yeah, Christ Jesus, the last Adam, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As, the earth, as is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Our glorified bodies will be imperishable, raised in glory and in power. They will be spiritual. They'll have the character of heaven rather than the character of earth. So as we pull all this together, here... In his hope. God provides, he has provided to the believer what we need to make real progress against indwelling sin. God enables us to live in entirely new holy ways. And God will one day complete our victory over sin. And we look forward to that day. I cannot wait to be in heaven where I can't sin anymore. I won't even want to sin anymore. And come quickly, Lord Jesus. Well, as we turn our attention now to the Lord's Supper, I want us to think about something we've talked about here, that's being crucified with Christ. As I said, it's a, a real spiritual work that is, done, that is done to the old me, the, the old man, if you will. And think back to that timeline I gave you in the illustration where you had my life, the timeline, and then I put in there the, the cross of Christ because that's where you became saved. And, and on the left side of that, you had the, the old you, and then on the right is the new you, the new era. When you trusted in Christ, you were crucified with Christ. That's a watershed event in your life. Everything changed. Everything changes when we put our trust in Christ. The old life ended that day, and the new life in Christ began. So let's meditate on that as we take some time here at the Lord's table.